Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales, the series podcast. Today, from the Grave Tales True Crime Volume 1 book, The Pajama Girl, Linda Agostini. In Melbourne's Preston Cemetery rests a woman in a grave. Nothing unusual about that. But this humble grave, marked with a white cross and the name Linda Agostini, is a resting place of the woman they call the Pajama Girl. In September 1934, this woman was found in her yellow silk pyjamas, her features severely burnt which hindered recognition. It became the centrepiece of one of the nation's most baffling murder cases. Is it really Linda buried here, or does the evidence suggest it's not her at all? Well, it very much does, Mm. I think. Um, But let's go through the story first and see (laughs) where we end up. Uh, 1934, 1st of September, a body found in a culvert beside the roadway uh, leading to a little place called Howlong from Albury in uh, southern New South Wales. Right. Turns out it's a young woman. She's wearing yellow pyjamas and a loose coat. Uh, a towel was wrapped around her head inside a bag and the police were also able to see dental work there. She had been burnt. Um, someone had poured some fluid over her mm. and set her alight. Uh, the man who discovered the body thought it smelt like kerosene. So, just stepping back, how was she found? Had she been lying there for days or did somebody spot the body? Because it was a little culvert. Was it a traffic area? It was. In fact, it was a bus driver right. who was driving past the area who saw flames coming from the culvert where whoever dumped this body there had tried to set it alight. A little bit later than that, another local who was driving past in the early hours of the morning saw some steam rising from the area. It had been raining and the water had oh. uh, put out the flames and produced some steam. Mm. But it wasn't until two mornings later, on the 1st of September, that a young man was leading a bullock past the area on the side of the road, taking it from one property to another. When the bull just stopped, it wouldn't move. And he looked over and saw what looked like oil or kerosene on the surface of water in Splitters Creek, which ran through that culvert, and then saw the body had been stuffed into the culvert and the bull just simply wouldn't go near it. So she'd been lying there almost two days. Yeah. Mm. What happened next? Did they identify her? Did they know who she was? They had some dental work in her mouth. They had potato sack that had been put over her head. Turned out when they investigated that identical potato sacks had been sent to all parts of Victoria and New South Wales and it would be impossible Mm -hmm. to try and trace Trace it. it, She had on Chinese-style pyjamas, yellow. They looked expensive and the police obviously thought, well, perhaps this is a way to find out. There Mm. wouldn't have been many of these sold. Turned out they were imported by the hundreds and many, many women around Australia had bought them. And the towel that was wrapped around her heads had some laundry marks on it. But after they finished their investigations, they discovered that no laundry operating in Victoria or New South Wales used those marks that were on that towel. So they came up with not a lot at all. In fact, they got quite desperate it became obvious that it wasn't going to be solved quickly and so they sent the body away to be embalmed so that it could be kept for identification purposes. In fact, as it turned out, they took it to the Sydney University where she was put in a zinc line bath of formalin, again hoping that someone might recognise the corpse. She was there Mm. for 10 years. Goodness me. And it became a kind of a ritual, you know, when you went to Sydney, you went to see if you knew the body. So it was open to the public, public could go and see it. Absolutely. Oh, that's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But they were desperate to find out who she was. At the Albury show in 1934, um, which happened just a few days after the body was found, they actually displayed enlarged photographs of her to try and see if anybody uh, would recognise her. They also tracked down all women under the age of 40 who'd failed to vote 
in the federal election that wow. had been held two weeks earlier. That's desperate, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, they were really trying to find out who this person was, but they couldn't. And she was only a little thing, though, wasn't she? She was only a small woman, about, what, five foot two, which is about 160 centimetres, I think. Yeah, five foot two, five foot three in that range. Yeah. Um, she was between 20 and 30 years, they thought. Fair, bobbed hair, brown at the roots, eyes blue-grey, eyebrows plucked, and so on. Two teeth missing from the rear, and it was turned out the dental work would become important as this case went mm-hmm. on. She had manicured and lacquered pink fingernails, so mid-20s, brown-haired bob. The nails manicured, she was slim. She's obviously a stylish young lady. Yes, and it's interesting because numbers of people were taken to see her, like journalists uh, who wrote about what she looked like. Some of them uh, gave a description just as you have. Others, uh, like Hugh Buggy, uh, who wrote for the Argus in Melbourne, said that he doubted anybody would be able to identify this person because the burning of her had changed her features so much. Mm. Quote, he said, I saw the body after it had been brought in from the road and after it had been covered with powdered ice and after it had been embalmed. That severe wound on the left side of the forehead had altered the whole character of the face as it had been in life. Nobody but one who knew the woman very well could possibly have recognised her. Exposure to intense heat had caused puffiness that made the face look fuller than it had been normally. I can't imagine the horror of seeing her. I don't know how they must have had her on show. Did they show her with all those injuries? Uh, Well, I think they probably covered up the side of the face that was burnt and bashed. Mm. But, uh, yeah, essentially she was on display. As I said earlier, you see references reading newspaper articles from the time of it becoming something of a thing to do when you're in Sydney. Sydney University was where they took it. In fact, the whole sideshow, as it was sort of becoming, had a couple of interesting effects, one of which was the, simply the number of reports of missing women that started to flood into police. I mean, police, during this investigation, looked into 3,000 reports of missing young women, 2,000 in New South Wales and 1,000 in Victoria, all without result. And this is in the 1930s. Yeah. Why is a missing women rate so high? Maybe it always is, but that was an outstanding number of Amazing. reports. Now, you mentioned just briefly then about the blows to her head. So what injuries did she have other than the um, burning, obviously, which was meant to try and get rid of the body? The police released the details. She'd had seven blows that had struck the woman's head, one making a deep wound on the left side of the forehead. The blows led to a fractured skull, but it turned out that she'd actually died from being shot. Wow, somebody really didn't like her. Yeah. So now we need to introduce the character in this kind of macabre story of Antonio Agostini. He'd arrived in Australia in 1927 and after he'd been here for three months he was offered a temporary job in the cloakroom of a classy restaurant in Sydney called Romano's. The place that he described as the meeting place of not only Sydney society but all of the top figures of the commercial, industrial, political and artistic life of Australia. Mm. It was a place for the movers and shakers apparently. He stayed in the job for five and a half years and would come to know many uh, contacts, many high Mm. flyers Mm. in Sydney. Amongst them was the policeman who headed the New South Police Force from 1935, William McKay, better known as Big Bill. After he'd been here about 12 months, he met Linda Platt, who was working as a theatre usherette. She'd arrived in Australia from England via New Zealand at the same time as Antonio. They hit it off straight away, and they were married at the Registrar-General's office in Sydney on the 22nd of April in 1930. Right. Popular couple on the Sydney scene. Right. He was uh, Italian, dashing, dark-haired and charming. <laughs> uh, Linda was smart, attractive and well-liked. Right. But according to Tony, it was not an easy marriage. Linda apparently left him for long periods and often drank too much. An attempt to break contact she had with her Sydney friends 
and the circles in which she drank, Tony accepted an offer to work on an Italian newspaper in Melbourne. And in 1933, they moved down to Melbourne to uh, Carlton. And did it work? No. Probably simply a matter of a new town, new friends to drink and socialise with. Marital matters didn't improve. Mm. According to Tony, there were frequent altercations. Tragically, one of them was to be fatal. Ah, right. Okay, so this is possibly then our first suspect lining up for the pyjama girl. Yeah, absolutely. Full story of what happened to end the relationship between Antonio Agostini and his wife Linda didn't emerge until after, or getting towards the end of the Second World War, 1944, in fact. He'd been in, for some of that time, in internment camps between when the body was found and when it was identified. Right. He was a member of the fascist party in Italy before he came to Australia, and that's why he was interned. But while he was there, he said he became disillusioned with the Italian fascist party. And in January of 1944, he put in a petition for his release. It was granted on the grounds that he was no longer a threat to Australia. And he got a job again at Romano's. Back there. Back there again. So, in fact, when he took up the waiter's job, it was almost 10 years since Mm. the pyjama girl, as she had been known all this time, was found in the culvert. Yeah, and 10 years since... Linda, well, had gone missing because we still didn't know she was dead at the stage. Yeah. It had been nine years since Linda Agostini was first connected with the case. Apparently in June of 1935, a man named George Kempf informed them that he knew Linda, hadn't seen her since January 1934. He maintained that the photos of the pyjama girl closely resembled Linda and he continued to maintain that view after he'd seen the body. A police from both Sydney and Melbourne looked into it and didn't think there was anything in it and Linda Agostini was in fact eliminated at that point as the pyjama girl. Okay so she was eliminated but she's still missing and meanwhile you've got her estranged husband Antonio back out there with no suspicion falling on him yet as to where Linda is. Yeah exactly right Mm. and what brought it all to a head was when Big Bill, uh, now the police commissioner, called him in for a chat so uh, that was down to police headquarters. Antonio went uh, and uh, Big Bill said to him, what's come over you, Tony? You're not the old Tony I used to know. Um, I've been down there having lunch recently and I've watched you and you seem to be in a very nervous state. Now, apparently Agostini replied, according to Mackay's court evidence, what do you mean, Mr. Mack? Making me like this is the death of Linda. I've been through hell for the past 10 years. I hid away when I should have gone straight to the police and told them the facts. Mm. So now it was starting to come out. In the statement that followed this, Agostini talked about how when he and his wife were in bed one morning, he woke up with the feel of something hard against the side of his head. And he realised as he woke up that it was a gun that she had. A struggle ensued and the revolver, as was stated by him, went off and his wife gave a long gasp and ceased to struggle. Uh, In the confession, Agostini went on to say that he'd driven the body over the state border to Albury in New South Wales and had dumped it in a culvert. He poured petrol over the body and set fire to it to destroy the evidence. Now, Big Bill would be pretty keen to get this case closed, wouldn't he? A a decade of a cold case of that size on the record wouldn't be looking too good, so he'd be pretty happy about this confession. Yeah, absolutely. The arrest of Agostini as a result of that, that it had been such a high-profile case for such a long time, Mm. caused a sensation. And it meant Pajama Girl was, in fact, identified. Pajama Girl was Linda Agostini. For now. For now, yeah. Well, in 1938, there'd been a coroner's inquiry that failed to come to that conclusion. Um, And now we are at 1944, and the coroner's inquest is fired up again. And it's coincidental that the the Mm. questions from Big Bill came just at this time. Mm. Again, coincidentally, the dentist who did the original post-mortem of the pyjama girl said that he missed something. 
Oh, gee, it's not good it all came together. And it, uh, they got an expert in, a Macquarie Street dental surgeon, Dr Everett Randall Magnus, was brought in to give his considered opinion, and he agreed that uh, what they were looking at was the body of Mrs L Agostini. Was everybody happy with that verdict? Uh, no, far from it, in fact, especially given that there was evidence that simply seemed to indicate that it could not be her. The pyjama girl had blue eyes, Linda's were brown. Mm. Uh, the pyjama girl was small-breasted, Linda had larger breasts. Expert witnesses were able to convince the coroner that Linda's eyes could have turned blue after death and her breasts could have shrunk due to the fire, wow. <laughs> even though they couldn't give any evidence of this ever happening to anybody before. Oh, good grief. <gasps> and so it went on. Uh, then what a circus. we have the emergence of a bloke called Dr Palmer Benbow. Right, eh? What's his story? His story is that he was going to bat for a lady um, whose daughter had disappeared who wanted to gain access to her material possessions. Right, so she had to be declared dead to do so. Exactly right. Palmer Benbow was of the view that this lady, Philomena Morgan, was in fact the pyjama girl. girl. He said he had evidence from a woman that he went to, to meet at a little shack who said that she saw uh, a young woman who arrived there one night, uh, closely followed by the owner of the shack where she was staying, proceeded to beat her up. Uh, his wife then arrived and they, they cleaned her up, put her in a buggy and took her away. Benbo said he'd also taken a photograph of Philomena Morgan to show to the woman who'd seen the young lady bashed. And uh, she immediately became very distressed and uh, wept bitterly. She said to me, that's the girl that came to my shack. Benbo mm. went on, of course, to say that that's uh, who the pyjama girl. girl was. I must say, though, when I look at the news clipping photos and the illustration of the pyjama girl that was prepared at the time, we've got one of them in the book. Linda looks more like the police sketch. She's got a little pointy chin like the so-called pyjama girl has, whereas Philomena's got a square jaw. So for my money, I'd be looking at Linda. Yeah, well, the upshot of uh, Benbow's evidence and involvement in this whole matter was pretty heavily criticised by counsel assisting the coroner and his evidence was uh, largely discredited. Mm. So at the end of all this, the pyjama girl was legally declared to be Linda Agostini mm. and that was the end of it. Uh, presumably Philomena Morgan remains listed as a missing person. Mm, very sad. And what happened to Antonio? Uh, he was tried for murder in Melbourne. He was acquitted uh, but found guilty of manslaughter instead. He was sentenced to six years imprisonment with hard labour. Mm -hmm. He served for, released in 1948 and deported to Italy um, where he died in 1969. Mm. Okay, so we know that this... Pajama Girl's now legally declared Linda Agostini, despite the fact she's got different coloured eyes, different sized body. You're not convinced, and others aren't either. So why? What are all the red herrings? Well, numbers of questions about this. For example, in his confession to Big Bill Mackay, Antonio Agostini didn't ever mention the bashing damage to the head of the Pajama Girl. And in court, Mackay said he didn't ask about the injuries when Agostini was confessing, saying he knew that the accused explanation of her death was that she'd been shot with a revolver or a pistol. Mm. He hadn't asked for any explanation as to how the wounds to the head had been caused. Mm. Seems like something of an oversight. Especially when if they'd been fighting for the gun because he woke up with it against his temple. Yeah. She's accidentally shot himself and then he's gone and bashed her seven times after? Yes. What? The, the subject comes up 
again. Mm. I mean, oh. I think at some point in time, he tried to suggest that he, he dropped the body several times while he was trying to get it downstairs to load in the car. Mm. And that's how that damage happened. Far too ah. much for that to have been the case. Ah. Also, when young Tom Griffiths, the bloke who was leading the bull beside the road, when he found the uh, pyjama girl, he said there was a strong smell of kerosene. Mm. In his statement, Antonio Agostini said he used petrol mm. to set his wife's body on fire. And there was something about the gun too, wasn't it? There was. Agostini would have had close connections with the military when he was a member of the fascist party in Italy, or at least completed military service. Uh, yet he didn't know the difference, he said, between a revolver and a pistol. In his statement, he calls the gun that killed Linda a revolver, mm. when in fact it was a pistol. And the one that jumps out to me the most is that Antonio Agostini said the shooting happened on a Monday morning, which would have to have been Monday the 27th of August, 1934. If that had been the case, and he dumped Linda's body that night, how was it that the fire was seen 24 hours later? That Mm. is, in the early hours of the 29th of August, not the 28th. Mm. So put those together with the changing Mm. eye colour and the shrinking or enlarging breasts, Mm. and there are a lot of serious questions to be answered about this story still. But Antonio admitted to the murder, but he never agreed that the pyjama girl was Linda. Is that correct? he didn't ever. Um, In fact, there's a bloke who wrote a book about this called Richard Evans, uh, The Pajama Girl Mystery. He says that he believes Agostini may have taken Linda's body and dumped her, but it may not have been at Albury. So where is she? Well, uh, Evans says that she's probably lying undiscovered somewhere in central Victoria. Lots of questions. Yeah. Okay, so what happened with the pyjama girl body then? It was obviously released once it was declared Linda. Yes, there was a publicly funded funeral for Linda Agostini at the Preston Cemetery on the 13th of July in 1944. That's just 10 years and a bit Mm. after her body was found. There was a peculiar collection of 53 onlookers, mostly there out of morbid curiosity, the term that was used by the minister uh, who conducted the service. Or just supporting and being there for this poor pyjama girl. Maybe, uh, with no relatives or friends there. Mm. Four journalists acted as the pallbearers for the pyjama girl. So any tips for finding Linda if we want to pay our respects? Best way to do that is to go to uh, Preston Cemetery uh, in through the Plenty Road entrance, turn left and take the second road right. You can't miss a grave really, it's grave L8341, it has a small white cross on it. Just be careful while you are in there, Uh, the roads are very, very narrow and not a lot of room to park or pass. Mm. It's a sad story. It is, it is, and one still with a lot of questions. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute and give us a good rating. If you didn't, you're probably not listening now anyway. <laughs> you have been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available on paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook, music by Kai Engels. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well. Or put together your own group and come along on our Great Ocean Road Tour. Thanks for listening. <laughs>